scripture reading is found in in John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you have clean, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides to the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing upon his holy and inerrant word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we expect great things from your word. We pray that you would bless us with your presence. We know that you're here, but oftentimes our unbelief, our lack of faith inhibits us from acknowledging your presence. Remove that veil, remove that dross, so that, Father, that we may hear your good word and be forever changed. May we be strengthened and may we feel your love. May we ultimately just give praise to you. We thank you, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the last of the I am statements that Jesus proclaims. um, And he kind of ends it with um, this interesting um, metaphor or analogy. Jesus claims to his disciples and all those that are listening that he is the vine. He is the vine, and we are going to explore what this means and how it applies to us and how it is very practical to know that Jesus is the vine. But before we begin and talk about Jesus the vine, this is the first time Jesus then addresses God as the vine dresser. He is not only talking about himself, but now he is bringing in God the Father and what role he has to play in all of this. And we'll expand all these concepts and we'll see why this is such an important I am statement for our Christian life today, not just for the future, but for today. 
So I want us to begin with that statement, God the vine, vine dresser. What is a vine dresser? For those of you who may not know, it simply means that God is the gardener. And he is the gardener that prunes the branches in so that the fruits would not be inhibited from growing. Now, I am a city boy through and through. I grew up in Los Angeles. Now I live in New York. So I had no idea what pruning actually looked like. I did not. So I YouTubed it. I YouTubed it just to see if I could get any inspiration. And I watched three minutes of 30 seconds of a gardener snipping at branches. It was by far the most boring thing I saw on YouTube to date. But leave it to Jesus to take this very simple kind of boring act and draw some great insight, but also some scary insight into how God operates. This, this is not a boring metaphor. This actually is very startling if we understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying God is the garner that cuts off the branches. And who are the branches or what are the branches? Now, if you're like me, historically, I've always read this verse and said, God is taking away all those bad branches in my life so that the fruit in me would grow. That's what I thought. <laughs> now, this is theologically true. That is what God does. He disciples us, and if we read Hebrews 12, this is what God does. He disciples us so that we may bear fruit. But this passage is a lot more alarming than that. For if it was just simply removing parts of me, I can deal with that. But if we think about it in context, we are seeing Jesus is saying something much more severe. He says, every branch in me, this is verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And we need to read that verse in light of verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. The branches in this analogy or metaphor are people. It is people that Jesus is talking about. And not just any person, people who are in Jesus. So he's talking about people who are in the church. They are branches within the church. And if they do not produce fruit, he cuts them away. Now, this is not a new teaching by Jesus himself. He talks about this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And let me read it for you. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So here is this somewhat boring act of pruning and Jesus takes it to the next level saying that God will remove people from his church. He will remove people from his church if they do not bear fruit. 
So Jesus is telling everyone, if you are in me, you must bear fruit. And essentially what he is saying and what many theologians have said or talked about is that if there is no fruit, there is no root in your life. And if you are not producing fruit, you are inhibiting his children from growing and producing fruit. So he will remove those who do not produce fruit. Now, so all of this should make us pause and reflect, including myself, and say to ourselves, am I producing fruit? And that is a question we have to wrestle with and ask ourselves, am I producing fruit? But then some of you may be sitting there thinking, am I producing fruit? And then all of a sudden say, wait, what does it mean to produce fruit? What does that look like? And Paul gives us a picture. He gives us a small sample size in Galatians chapter 5, 22. If you are in Jesus, he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. So there is a fruit of the Spirit that comes from you by being a part of Jesus. Now, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, these are only things other people can experience. And I'm beginning to love this analogy that Jesus brings in because the fruit is not something that we can taste for ourselves, right? An apple tree does not grow apples and say, I'm going to eat this apple. Actually, the fruit that we produce is for other people, so you cannot produce fruit without other people. People need to experience the fruit that you produce. You cannot say to yourself, I think I'm loving. I think I'm kind. I show a lot of self-control. You can't do that because it doesn't matter what you think. Other people need to experience this. Jesus has created a system and a people where we need one another. And I praise God for that. This is not an individual journey. So going back to the point, we all need to be producing fruit in our lives. And we need to talk to one another. And we need to be actively talking about this. Am I more loving? Do, do you see the fruit of the Spirit growing in me? Am I more kind? And we need to talk about this back and forth. Because if we go our whole lives and be politically correct, there may be a chance that the Lord removes people from his church and they never had a shot. It is in our best interest for us to talk about the fruit. Now, for some of you, you may realize no one has ever talked about me being loving or kind or anything of the of those nature and that's a serious wake-up call that you need to take seriously if no one is saying these things about you then you need to rethink where you are because again if there is no fruit there is no root now for a majority of us i feel like that we have some fruit but that fruit is kind of ugly it's growing but it's that apple that's been kind of bruised that apple you don't pick. And so this message still applies to us. Even though we're producing fruit, we may not be producing the best fruit. And so why Jesus is telling us all of this, why he's talking about God, the gardener, him being the vine, is so that not that you would produce more fruit, but that you would turn to him. That you would turn to Jesus. 
Jesus is saying that he is the vine because the only way to produce fruit is by abiding in Christ alone. You cannot simply say, I'm going to do more community service, then people will talk better than me. You cannot simply say, I'm going to serve more at church because then people will notice and think I'm kind. You can't simply say, I'm going to love more or be kind more because we don't have that kind of power. And that's what Jesus is trying to drive us to himself. Verse 4, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the appropriate response when we don't see any fruit is not to say, oh man, I'm scared, I need to do better. That is not the appropriate response. The appropriate response when you do not see fruit is to run to Jesus and to abide in him. Now here's the thing, uh, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? That is a phrase that pastors like to throw around, I love to throw around, but sometimes I never explain it. And people are like, wait, so what do I do? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Do I just sit and be like, I think I'm abiding in Jesus? <laughs> Jesus actually explains to us what it means to abide in him. It's not an abstract com um, concept. There are practical things that you can do. And it comes to us in verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And that's where I'm going to stop for us a moment. Abiding in Jesus means that you are abiding in his word. That means you are reading his word. That means you are meditating on his word. It means that you know his words. And Jesus comes back to this concept in verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, number one, you have to know what Jesus has commanded first, right? You can't obey the commandments if you don't know the commandments. Second, you have to actually follow then the commandments. You have to read the Bible, understand what is being said, and then actually follow it. Obey him. And again, we've summarized many times, it's not a bad thing that God is calling us to do. The summation of the law is simply, love God, love your neighbor. That's it. It's a very difficult thing to do because of sin and because of our selfish nature. But ultimately, this is what humanity is about. We were created not for ourselves, but the other. And for God. So we need to read his word. And this Old Testament, this concept is an Old Testament concept. I want you to hear Psalm 1, which is the introduction to all the Psalms, and it's the summation of all the Psalms of how you need to understand what the whole book of Psalms is about. This is what it says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the ways of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And what is this person like who meditates on the law day and night? Verse three, he is like a tree planted by streams of water 
that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. How do you abide in Jesus? The first thing you have to do is abide in his word. Now, this is not just reading and doing your quiet time. I'm talking about there's reading aspects. There's coming to church and listening to the message. You can listen to podcasts and people talking about the word. You can have conversation and coffee and talking about the word. Anything that allows you to talk and meditate and understand God's word so that you better obey it and understand it. This is how you abide in Jesus. It's in the word. And if, if there's any doubt, John as he begins his gospel, highlights that Jesus is the Word. He starts at John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. How do you abide in Jesus? You abide in the teachings of Scripture. Now, that's not the only thing that you do when you abide in the Word and learn about who Jesus is and what his commandments are. The second thing is in the second part of verse 7, where it says, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. The second way you abide in God's word is by praying. Praying is not just some wishful act. It is an act of faith altogether. When you come in prayer, that is the most practical way to act out your faith. Because you're literally coming to Jesus and talking to him. You are acknowledging his presence. You are acknowledging you are, he is there. And you are saying, God, you are there. Please listen to me. And more interesting enough, Jesus says, just don't pray any certain way. I know we say that, you know, pray what's ever in your heart. But there is a certain posture that we take. We don't say, hey, Jesus, I'd like a latte. Five minutes pronto. Right? That is not what we say. And that is not an appropriate way to pray because Jesus wants us to pray in truth and in love. And the way we pray to Jesus is by asking what we wish and expecting him to provide it. We pray to Jesus and God, the triune God, as the provider. And we are in a state of weakness and we need his power his abilities and everything that he can provide this is a way of staying in the word because you are constantly stay, staying in the presence of jesus there's nothing more that can change your spiritual life than reading the word and praying it is these things that will change your heart it, are, it is these things that will change your soul, that will make you produce fruit. You won't even have to think about it at a certain point. You'll continue to just read. You'll continue to pray. And after you do these things, you will just begin to serve people. It will be a reaction because you cannot read the scriptures without seeing how much Jesus helps other people, how much God loves other people, how much God desires to help the afflicted, the poor, the marginalized. It's all throughout scripture. If you're reading it, the only conclusion you can really come to is that Jesus really cares for people. So you can't come to the conclusion of reading scripture and praying and saying, I need to live for myself. It's an impossible conclusion when you come 
to Jesus. But I do want to reflect on this one thing. So I know most of you, and hopefully most of you are saying, that's right. I need to read more scripture. I need to talk about scripture. I need to pray more. But I want us to just reflect on this one thing as we go and pursue these things. I think there is another reason Jesus gave us this picture of a vine and a tree. I had mentioned to you earlier that I watched that three minutes and 30 second video of pruning and it was so boring. And here's the fact of the matter. Reading scripture and praying and producing fruit is ultimately pretty boring. If you ever go in front of a tree and look at it, there is nothing happening. When you prune the branch and take it out, nothing exciting happens. And most of the time, we won't even know anything is happening. The problem with American Christianity sometimes is that we want immediate results right away. When we read scripture, we're saying, well, did I become more loving? Or we'll pray and we'll say, well, did I become a better person? It doesn't work that way. There is an aspect of faith in this. We read scripture and we say, I don't know what happened. I don't know what it was talking about, but I believe something did happen. I prayed. I don't know if my prayers are going to be answered. I don't know if I'm being moved or changed, but I know something is going to happen. Reading scripture at times can be boring. I'm saying that as a pastor and who loves the word. Praying is not that exciting for me. Not all the times anyway. But I'll never depart from it. You know what else is not exciting? Breathing. <laughs> or eating. But it's necessary for life. But I don't want to just leave us there. Because what we have to understand is that we do eventually turn into something beautiful. Have you ever been to an orchard where trees and oranges are growing? It is beautiful. And it takes time to grow, but when you enter it or enter into an orchard or enter into a church, it is a, an aroma that is irresistible. It is something that people do take notice and people want to partake in. They want to sit under those trees. They want to pick the fruit. They want to be part of it. And so we, as the people of God, need to bear fruit. Work through the boring aspects of it, but have faith that Jesus is the vine and that he is delivered. Another aspect of that Jesus being the vine is this. That we are not the primary beneficiaries of our fruit. I had mentioned that earlier, but I want to reemphasize this again. We do not reap our own fruit. This is really for our neighbor. If you do not read the scriptures, if you do not pray, I think that is the first way of not loving your neighbor. We never think about it, right? We think about it for our own personal benefit. But again, the fruit that is produced is not for us. It's for our neighbor. That is how we become in a pleasing aroma to people. And that's important, right? How many times have you experienced a day? Everything is going right. The coffee's on. Breakfast is perfect. And then you encounter that mean person on the subway. Day is done. No matter what happens, that day is done. But how many times have you had a bad day and someone is just so kind and such a blessing and you are just uplifted? It's an amazing thing for us to produce this fruit. If you truly want to love your neighbor, abide in Jesus. And then you will produce fruit that is glorifying to him and to your neighbors. 
But I don't want to say it's completely for the other. There are benefits that we receive when we abide in Jesus. And I want to talk about some of those benefits that we as individuals receive. Remember, we don't get our own fruit, but we get another thing. First, when we produce fruit, we glorify God. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As we bear more fruit and as we become a sweet aroma to others, God is ultimately glorified, and that's why we do it. We're not glorified. We don't get all the praise. We don't get all the glory, but ultimately God gets all the glory, and people want to know who this God is, who this gardener is. Second, I think most importantly is, maybe not most importantly, but very important, is that we get to experience heavenly love when we abide in Jesus. It is a love that cannot be found on this earth. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And I want us to understand that significance. This is a heavenly love that we experience, not just a normal love. And I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about my life with Christine, and uh, I was talking to her, and she doesn't like this example, but I'm going to say it anyway. If Christine says at the end of her deathbed, she says, Jeff is the greatest love I have ever experienced, my love. I will look at her and say, I'm so sorry. And because we want that, right? We want that from our spouses. We want that from our children, that that, will, that person will provide the greatest love ever. But if I know anything about my love, my love stinks. And if that's the best love that she has experienced, that's horrible. I want her to experience Jesus' love. That's the true love I want to experience. That's the true love that I want to encounter. I want a love that is from heaven, that is the greatest lover of all time. I want a love that comes from God himself. I love Christine. She loves me maybe a little bit better, but it's still not that good compared to Jesus. The best thing that we get when we abide in Jesus and produce this fruit is that we get to experience the great love of Jesus Christ himself. Nothing better. Nothing better. And here's the third thing we get to experience. Jesus also says that we get to experience his joy. The Christian life, we often say, is about sacrifice, and it is. But this sacrifice pales in comparison to the joy we receive in Christ. And again, this is an important aspect. It's not love. It's not a, it's not a heart-wrenching love that we experience. It's a joyful love. It's a joy that is full and complete and that we receive by Christ himself. It's another heavenly type of experience. We experience the happiness that Jesus himself has. We are talking about being intimately united to Christ. And this is why Jesus is always saying, come to me, abide in me. You will experience great love and great joy. And you will have an amazing experience as you abide in me. So again, the goal for us is not to produce fruit, but maybe the individual goal is to experience this love for ourselves. 
to experience this joy for ourselves. There is nothing greater on this world than hearing Jesus say, I love you, and that being manifested in the Holy Spirit. Nothing better. It is awesome, amazing, and wonderful. More grand than any mountain or height that you can do. It is something that you can only experience here in the church. We don't always achieve it here on Sundays. We do our best. But there, I'm telling you, there is nothing better when the word is preached and we are singing together and we are all on tune and it is glorious. And it's in those times when we are singing as a congregation that I truly see Christ for who he is. And I'm telling you, there is no better feeling on that, on this earth than that feeling. Being surrounded by God's sons and daughters and singing praise to him. So the only request from this scripture is simply this. It's not to go out and produce more fruit. It's not that. All this is trying to say and all Jesus is trying to say in his last I am statement is simply this. Remain in me. Don't pursue other projects. Don't pursue other goals. Remain in me. Abide in me. And hopefully, we will begin to see the sweet aroma of our fruit. And God will ultimately be glorified. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are the vine. We pray that you would strengthen us. And, Lord, that you would give us endurance, Lord, to continually produce the fruit. And what we mean by that, is, Father, is that we would not lose sight of who you are and that we would run to you, cling to you. Help us to read your word. Help us to pray and help us ultimately to give glory to you by producing the great sweet fruit that only you can produce. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.